You are listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Citizens Church exists to saturate Bryan College Station, Texas with the good news and love of Jesus. To learn more about Citizens Church, visit us online at citizensbcs.com. Today's message is from Jason Johnson. It's quite the introduction, Ben. Thanks. No, no introduction needed. So understand. We go with it. And Ashby, hate that we lost you. Looks like you're back. Hopefully we can end our time where we started. It was good. So I'll keep it. I'll keep it short enough for us to be able to do that. Not preaching at all, just uh, sharing some thoughts that we can uh, kind of process together. And so we are actually stepping into the book of James. And the book of James is an interesting book because it's pretty choppy. So he jumps from one thing to another, but there are some overarching themes. And um, actually a number of years ago, uh, preached a series on James and we called it the, the soapbox sessions because in a lot of ways he gets up on his soapbox on different things and just kind of throws it out there. And um, I think if we knew James personally, we would understand he's the kind of guy that um, isn't too concerned with what necessarily people think of him. Um, not that he's a jerk, but he's going to speak what's true and what's right and um, even if it's uncomfortable. Um, And so that's what we find in the book of James. And in the first couple of chapters, he's really laying the foundation and you can really kind of wrap it all around this idea that that our faith does something, uh, that we, we do something with it. Not that we do things in order to receive or earn anything from God, but there's an element of our faith lived out, that what Jesus has done for us somehow, some way translates itself into the way that we live. Um, and so actually where I want to start tonight is, is share a story. Not long ago, I read this story somewhere and it struck me the story. And it's a story that we have all heard, just different characters, different setting, different, different um, context, same story we've all heard a million times. The story of, of kind of a heroic effort on behalf of an individual. So this particular context in 2016, a guy in California uh, saved a stranger from a burning car. The car was on fire, the driver was knocked out, and he noticed onlookers in the parking lot beginning to move back away from the car fire. Uh, understandably so. That's just a natural response of we need to step back uh, and away. And they're recording on their phones, of course, because that's what we do now these days. Uh, and only one person jumped in to help, and it was this guy named Aram, A-A-A-R-A-M. After realizing the seriousness of the situation, uh, he noticed everyone else was stepping back, but he moved forwards towards him and grabbed the man from behind the wheel, pulled him to safety. And then not long after, a reporter asked him, why did you, why did you do that? And he responded pretty matter-of-factly, probably kind of how James would have responded. He simply said nobody was pulling him out. And I figured if we don't, he's going to die. And so why not me? And that was his answer. And uh, a man, a few words, but the words he did say, you can't argue with. Um, So we've heard that story a dozen times. Change the names, change the location, change some aspects of the circumstances. And the stories all carry that same kind of iconic theme uh, that someone decides in a sudden moment that the risk of not doing something 
is, is worse than the risk of actually stepping in and doing something. And it's these very quick decisions that have to be made where you're weighing the cost benefits. What are the costs of me getting involved and the benefits? And what are the costs of me not getting involved in the benefits? And um, in this moment, Aram decides uh, that the risk of not doing something is greater than the risk of doing something, uh, even to his own, his own potential detriment. The danger of moving towards it is great, but the danger of not moving towards it is even greater uh, that this man could have died. So that's the choice that Aram was faced with that day. And it's a choice that, to some extent, we're all faced with at some point um, uh, in, in a variety of contexts and in a variety of degrees, not necessarily that we're all going to come across a burning car and have to decide, do I run towards it or run away from it? But we are going to come across situations and people and circumstances where um, the natural cost-benefit analysis that we're wired to think through is going to tell us don't go, don't move towards it. Just step away and record it on your phone and post it on Facebook and make people think that you did something about it. Right. Um, uh, and, uh, it may not be a burning car, but it may be a struggling neighbor across the street. It may be a need in your city. It, it may be, uh, a stranger that you come across and, um, rather than praying that someone might meet their need, you actually decide, I'm going to be the one to meet their need, right? So at some point and in some capacity, we all come across this, this choice that we have to make. Um, do we move towards or do we step back? And honestly, the narrative of the culture that we live in and kind of the script that to some extent we're all kind of hardwired to live by is, is a narrative which says you, you step back, you always move away. And so the, the expectation, uh, generally speaking, is that your life, the intent of your life is to be good, do good, make good grades, go to a good school, get a good degree so that you can get a good job with a good salary, marry a good guy or girl, have some good kids, take some good vacations, have a good retirement. So there's all this, this is, this is the good life. And throughout all of that, uh, do everything you possibly can to avoid and isolate yourself from anything that's hard and difficult. And if you come across the burning car in the parking lot, then you need to step back and you need to move away from it. Uh, this is the narrative that subtly we're all kind of expected to live by. Um, and those of us who live here in Bryan College Station, we're surrounded by literally dozens of thousands of college students who are wrestling with that. And they've got parents and professors and people telling them that, uh, these are the, the decisions that you need to make now in order to set yourself up for the most comfortable and convenient success. Um, and uh, that's the script. And then what we find in James and what we find in the gospel is actually um, kind of this script-breaking message, which says that we are not a people who step back and insulate and isolate, but we are actually, we're like Aram, and we're people who run towards uh, and we're people who determine that the risk of not engaging is far greater than the risk of us engaging. Um, and uh, the gospel compels us to something entirely different. So this is the idea of incarnation in scripture. And um, it's actually, in, in, in my opinion, probably one of the primary arcs of all of scripture is that God moves towards and he doesn't move away. That's, um, 
That's just his MO. And so if you track all the way back from the beginning of scripture, you see God and, and Adam and Eve in the garden and there's perfect unity. Sin enters the picture. They're immediately fractured from one another. And then from that moment on, the whole rest of scripture is the story of God moving closer and closer to broken people. Uh, so, for example, you go to the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and a pillar of smoke by, by day and fire by night. He's, he's there, but he's kind of out there. Like there's God guiding, but there's, he's out there somewhere. He's over there. And then he says, all right, uh, I want you guys to build a tabernacle. And in this particular room that's very specific uh, is where my glory is going to dwell. And so God moves from kind of out there to now he's in there in this room that had limited access at limited times of the year and only limited number of kind of person could go in it, the priest who'd gone through certain rituals, but he's a little bit closer. So God was out there and now God is in there. And then the prophets start to speak of, of this Emmanuel. And we come up on, on our Christmas verses, right? That the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son. His name will be uh, Emmanuel, which means that God is with us. And so for hundreds of years, there's now this expectation and hope that another redemptive step towards people is happening, that God's going to go from out there to in there to now, literally right here in the flesh, incarnation. This is God in the flesh. We can touch him and feel him and interact with him and, and walk with him. And then sometime into his ministry, Jesus suggests to his disciples, hey, another redemptive shift is about to happen. Uh, I'm going to leave and it's going to be better for you. And they don't understand. They, they think, no, 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 we need you here next to us uh, in order for us to do life and ministry. It's impossible for us to do this if you're not right here with us. And he says, well, it's better for you if I leave, because when I leave, I'm going to send my spirit and he will live inside of you. And you can't get any closer to anyone than inside of them. And so the whole arc of scripture is kind of this idea that God moves towards broken people and hard places. Um, he was once out there and now then he was in there and then he was right here. And now we can say, he's as close as you can possibly get. He literally lives inside of us and lives through us. And so we're going to get to heaven one day and, and we're going to have questions for Moses and Aaron and all of these Old Testament prophets and heroes. And they're going to say, forget all that. We have a question for you. What's it like to not just have God out there or over there, but actually inside of you, because that's not something that scripture suggests that they experienced. Um, they saw him in burning bushes. They heard him speak through donkeys. They saw him in the clouds and in the fire and all of these unique creative ways that God made his presence known, but nothing like what we have. Uh, and that's why Jesus says it's going to be better for you. And so this is the idea of the gospel, that, that God moves towards hard places and broken people, um, sacrificially, uh, aggressively at times, um, uh, consistently. There's never a moment where God moves towards something hard or difficult and then decides this is too hard or difficult. I'm stepping back. Or this isn't what I thought it would be. Or you're too far gone. You're too broken for me to continue to pursue you. That's, that's just not who God is. It's not what the gospel is. That the gospel is... God saying, I see you where you are, and I'm coming after you. I'm not moving away from you, but I'm going to step into your story, literally wrap myself up in your flesh, in your story, incarnation, be broken by your brokenness so that you don't have to be broken anymore. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, of course. But of course, also, it's true all the time. 
that God's the kind of God that moves towards. And so it's in light of that that I think James sets some ideas up um, pretty pointedly in Scripture and in what he writes. And in particular, uh, in James chapter 1, he's talking about faith and works. Like, look, we, we can't be the kind of people who raise our hands and worship to a God who moves towards us and then use those same hands to push the brokenness of others away. There's just, there's a significant disconnect there. Um, and so James, in my opinion, and the gospel as a whole, in my opinion, speaks less to what kinds of things we should do and more to what kinds of people we should be. And then that begins to translate into the things that we do, that we want to be the kind of people who see hard places and broken people, and like Aram, we move towards them, not away from them, because that's reflective of who God is and what God has done for us. So then James in James chapter 127, which is a verse that literally takes me around the country, oddly enough, um, uh, and is, is full of, of, of so much of this idea of we want to be the kind of people who live lives in such a way that they reflect accurately who God is and what he's done for us through Jesus. And so in James one twenty seven in particular, many of you have probably heard this verse. It says, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their misfortune and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So real quick, I just kind of want to unpack this a little bit so that we understand it more. And typically when I travel and I share on this, uh, I, I tell a story about there's an oil change place over here near our house on Harvey Road that I, I probably paid twice as much as I should for an oil change, but I, I have uh, zero hesitation and I'm totally okay with it and paying these guys to do what they do so I don't have to do it. And in particular... What I love about their place is it's drive-through. You don't even have to get out of your car. You just drive, You just sit there. They do their deal, whatever they're doing for 20 minutes, and you're gone. But two funny interactions always happen when you get an oil change. The first one is they like to ask you what kind of oil you want. Um, so I pull in, and they'll say, hey, what, what kind of oil do you want today? And I literally, I don't know anything about oil. I want to say... I'm paying you twice as much as I should for you to tell me what kind of oil I want. I just want the kind of oil that goes in a car, whatever that is, right? And then the second interaction is, is always the most funny for me. At the end, uh, another reason I like these guys is because when it's hot, they open your door and they roll a portable air conditioner up next to you and they pump cold air on your body while the real men are under your car doing God knows what and I don't care. You do what you do. And I'm going to sit here with air conditioner pumped all over me. And so they come at the end and they hold the dipstick thing out and they want you to verify, uh, oddly enough, they want you to verify that they've done their job correctly. Um, and this is a funny interaction for me because I literally have no idea what you've been doing underneath my car for the last 20 minutes. Uh, and now you're coming to me saying, hey, we, we need you to verify that it's at the correct level and that it looks clean. And so just to kind of maintain some sense of dignity, I, I find myself nodding in ignorant approval to them. I look at it and I say, yeah, that looks good. Thanks, guys. I literally have no idea what I just signed off on. Um, but I've maintained some sense of dignity, right, as the cold air blows on my body and I check Facebook while the real men are under my car doing who knows what. 
so this idea of kind of these rote things, they're just mechanical. We're so used to them that we can kind of look at, glance at them and nod in ignorant approval to them is something I think that we, we can do often in a number of circumstances. And in my case, in particular, I can do that with scripture. I become so familiar with and having grown up around it and preached on it that I can look at scriptures and kind of go, yeah, looks good. I get it, right? Having no idea what I just signed off on. So James 127 tends to be one of those particular verses. And so I want us to unpack it real quick and then we'll be done. So when it says pure and undefiled uh, religion, this idea of pure and undefiled literally means faultless or the root word of that word pure is catharsis. Uh, it's where we get our word catheter or cathartic from. It's this idea of cleansing. So a catheter cleanses your bodies from impurities. A cathartic experience is one that um, is emotionally and psychologically cleansing. You go hiking in the mountains or whatever it is you do, and it feels cathartic. So what, what James is suggesting here is that one of the cleanest, one of the purest, um, pure and undefiled religion uh, is, is this. And so this is not a command verse necessarily. So I, in the space that I run in, over and over and over again, I'll hear people say, you know, James 1.27 commands us to care for orphans, when in fact, there's no command language in this verse. This is a descriptive verse for us. It's not commanding us to do something. It's describing something that is very clean and pure when we do it, if that makes sense. So it's describing pure and undefiled religion. So this word religion is not our word religion. It's not cathedrals and steeples and rituals. It literally means an outward expression of faith or an outward demonstration of something that's inwardly true. So now James is saying that one of the cleanest outward demonstrations of what we believe, okay, of what we believe is true about God. Um, so this is less a command to do something, and it's more of a call to be something. It's more of a call to be the kind of people who, in a very clean and pure way, outwardly demonstrates what's true about God. All right. So he says, you know, the big kind of the the big cliffhanger here is, what is it, James? What's what's one of the cleanest, purest ways to put God on display? He says it's to care for. Uh, or to look after, to give intense attention to, or to go and to see, okay? Uh, another word, another translation might use the word to visit orphans and widows in their misfortune or in their affliction. And that's really the root idea here is this idea of to visit. In Luke chapter 168, the exact same word is used. It says, blessed be the Lord God, for he has visited or he has cared for us and accomplished great redemption. Exact same word. James says, one of the cleanest outward expressions of who God is, is to visit, to care for. And then Luke says, it's the exact same way that God cared for or visited us. There's also this idea of, it's not um, temporary. It's not um, go and visit for a little while and then run back home where it's comfortable. Uh, it's, it's this idea of permanence. It's this idea of we're going to move in and we're going we're gonna to stay around for a long time. And so one of my favorite writers, a guy named Henry Nowen, let me see if I can pull it up here. I wish to share my screen, but we're not going to get that fancy. So I'm just going to read it to you. 
Uh, Henry Nouwen says this, he says, compassion is not a bending toward the underprivileged from a privileged position. Um, it's not reaching out from on high to those who are less fortunate below, right? It's not a gesture of sympathy or pity for those who can't, can't make it up themselves, right? It's not like a throwing of the breadcrumbs to people to make ourselves feel better. He says, on the contrary, compassion means going directly to the people and places where suffering is most acute and building a home there. That's the word picture that we're going to go to those places where suffering is most acute and we're going to take up residence there. We're not just visiting. Like, we're staying for a long time. And this is the idea of incarnation, where scripture says that, um, uh, that he will be God with us, that John says that, um, that he dwelt among us, literally means he tabernacled among us, is, is what is being suggested there. So it conveys more than just stopping by and saying hello. Instead, it implies the sense of consistence, closeness, and nearness, and personal contact. And this is the power of proximity. It's kind of this decreasing of the gap between us uh, and increasing proximity, just being closer to those places and people where suffering is most acute and building a home there, saying we're here and we're going to stay here. So James says to care for one of the purest, most undefiled hour demonstrations of who God is, is to care for, to visit, to take up residence, to be a permanent presence in the lives of orphans and widows. Now, again, going back, this is a descriptive verse. It's not a prescriptive verse. It's describing something for us. So I don't think James is being prescriptive here. I don't think James is saying only orphans and widows. I don't think if we went to James and said, what about those in, uh, who are incarcerated, homeless, who are under-resourced in our community? What about the struggling neighbor across the street? I don't think James would say, I don't care about any of them. Uh, it's orphans and widows only. And if they're not an orphan or a widow, then you just completely ignore them and you move on until you find an orphan or a widow. I don't think that's what James is saying. James is describing and he's using orphans and widows as descriptors. In his context, orphans and widows were some of the most pushed aside, cast off people. The husbandless and the fatherless were deemed, in many regards, the most socially worthless. You contribute nothing. You're just a drain on society. We're going to push you to the margins and to the side. And so um, James is effectively saying one of the purest and most undefiled, cleanest outward displays of who God is, is for people like you and I to be the kind of people who see the most vulnerable around us, the most pushed aside, the most cast off, and we move towards them and not away from them. That we run towards the burning car and not away from it. Why? Because when we do, it says something true about who God is. It becomes one of the purest, cleanest, outward reflections of the gospel. That people can look at us and say, why would you do that? Why would you break the script? The script is, Comfort, convenience, isolate, insulate. Why would you break that script? Uh, and then we've got a pretty compelling answer to that question, why? Um, not in a kind of a, a Christian cliche kind of way. I think one of the things I appreciate about our culture now is that while it's uh, harder to be Christian um, in terms of it being socially acceptable, I think that's actually a good thing in some regards because it forces us to just do away with some of the empty Christian cliches and actually 
uh, be pretty raw and real in why we do certain things and what our why is. And our why, why would we break the script is ultimately because um, it's less about why would we do this? And it's more about in light of what we understand Jesus has done for us. The question is, why would we not do this? That's the question. And the gospel begins to change some of the questions that we ask ourselves. And so finally, and then we'll be done. It says, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, most people who use this verse leave that part off because we don't know what to do with it, right? It doesn't seem to fit like this call to care for orphans and widows were for the most vulnerable, but it's actually really powerful. Um, that idea of keeping one un, un, oneself unstained is the same language. It goes back to the same language used in the beginning, this clean, pure undefiled expression. So James is kind of sandwiching this whole thing between this idea of clean and pure. So he's saying one of the cleanest demonstrations of the gospel is for us to move towards hard places and broken people. And when we do that, there's something cleansing about that for us. Okay? It keeps us unstained. It, it cleanses us. It purifies us. And, um, I don't know all of what that might mean, but I have some suggestions that maybe our participation in this work is about our becoming this type of people um, who, who are less concerned with getting caught up in the narratives of this world and we're more concerned with um, being stained by the brokenness of others. Um, and when we do that, that's actually cleansing for us. It puts a clean and unadulterated gospel on display. It purifies and cleans us uh, by leaving little room for us to be so overly concerned about that narrative of the world, which says, consume your life with the pursuit of comfort and convenience. Like we can just be clean from that. And we can, we can move towards becoming the kind of people that, that God is inviting us to be. So that's the idea. And so the questions are then, um, you know, it's not necessarily where can I find the next burning car so I can run towards it, right? That might be the case. Uh, it doesn't always have to be big and huge and grand. I think it starts with just simple steps towards kind of praying through a posture in our heart, which says in what ways, maybe that I'm even unaware of, have I bought the lie that my life the sole purpose of my life is to be good, do good, and make sure that I, it's as comfortable and convenient as possible. Um, and God, just make me sensitive to opportunities to break that script um, along the way. Uh, and to practice, kind of practice the art of incarnation, um, moving towards wrapping myself up in the story and the brokenness of others being broken by their brokenness so that on some level, they don't have to be as broken anymore. Because when we do that, it just screams the gospel. Um, it, it preaches the gospel with a cleanliness and a purity, unlike much else, I think is what James is suggesting to us. So that was longer than 15 minutes, Ben, but I think we're still good on time. So that's it. That's kind of James's big punch there in the beginning for us. Thanks for joining us today for the message. We hope it was encouraging to you. To learn more about Citizens Church, including gathering times and locations, or to give financial support, 
please visit citizensbcs.com. And again, thanks for listening to the Citizens Church Podcast.